Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. JT with you as we kick off and... We are ready to go on Raider Nation Radio on a Monday on what is a big week, big weekend. I was out at NASCAR. We'll talk about that. And today is the 50th anniversary. Right now, tonight, the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century. Ali Frazier won, which is mandatory viewing, mandatory viewing for all sports fans. We have a guest who was ringside at that fight working for Howard Cosell. We'll tell you about that. In a little while of the show. And Raider Nation, it's kind of go time. It's go time with the offseason. I think the month of February coming to an end. And now that we're here through the first week plus of March, we're here on March 8th. It's getting to the point now where the Raiders are making huge decisions inside their headquarters in Henderson on what they're going to do with this roster. What they'd like to do going forward. What they want to do and what they can control in regards to where they stand with the cap. Gabe Jackson, Richie Incognito, the release of players pending that are important players with the Raiders, Nelson Aguilar and free agency, and what's going to happen going forward on how they're going to rebuild the defense. Welcome to the show. We're brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. I was at a PT's this weekend. Hope you were 5 to 7, midnight to 2. They are an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Vegas Golden Knights are on absolute fire. So if you're looking to watch a Golden Knights game, no better place to go than PT's 64-plus locations in the Valley. As they're ready to have you, if you're going into game to eat to drink to watch sports no better place to do that pts fuels the monologue as we get going so today we're all over the place because monday is an interesting day we usually book monday in advance like on thursday and friday and i knew this was the 50th anniversary of ali frazier so we have a boxing hit i went to nascar we're going to get into that a little bit but i'll lead with the raiders and where the raiders stand right now heading into free agency in the league All these teams that are trying to get under the cap are redoing contracts, letting go of players in anticipation of free agency before the NFL draft. Now, I've always been a big fan from watching the models of the past that have worked from Gil Brandt and the legendary Cowboy teams of America's team to Bill Belichick and the run of six Super Bowls for New England and the great Al Davis over his years with the draft and how he built this iconic franchise through the 60s, 70s, into 80s with three world championships. But now we get to the Raiders in 2021 as they are playing in a brand-new stadium where no fans have been able to attend unless you've been going on one of their new tour packages. So if you haven't been in the building, you didn't miss much. Uh, The Raiders had no fans in attendance, and they missed the playoffs going 8-8. I, along with many, think they were better than an 8-8 team. I thought they were a 10-6 team. I have the wins right here to show you how they should have won 10 games, but that's what it could have should have radio. They didn't do that, and now they're a 500 team going into the offseason. The advantages that the Raiders have, I believe, are the coach and the quarterback the fourth year in the system. Derek Carr, who was out at NASCAR on Sunday, uh, gave the address, drivers start your engines with his two sons, was fantastic. Derek was a showcase celebrity Sunday at NASCAR in front of the biggest sporting event attended by fans in Las Vegas since the beginning of the coronavirus. So Derek did his job as the captain of the Raiders showed up, goodwill for the community. It was fantastic. And now he's coming back for what we all believe will be his fourth year in the system with John Gruden, who puts together one of the most complex offenses in all of football. It's a very detailed offense with a lot of language, a lot of play calling, and a lot of decisions that are made at the line of scrimmage. And I think that the Raiders need to improve on that, as we talked about. Coach Gruden came on with me exclusively a couple of weeks ago for my show on Sirius XM in here, and we talked about 
play calling, improvements, we covered every topic. So we're all assuming that Coach Gruden is going to be adding more for Derek Carr this year, and Derek Carr is going to be able to handle everything that's put in front of him by John Gruden and this offensive staff. The issue for Carr this year does, has nothing to do with the system. He has mastered the system from a quarterback perspective, a pocket passer. He can make all the throws. He's tremendous at the line of scrimmage. He's as good as anybody at the line of scrimmage and seeing what's in front of him. And Derek Carr makes generally good decisions along the way in the course of the game. Look at Darren Waller. He broke the Raiders' all-time single-season reception record. Uh, Look what happened with Nelson Aguilar this year. He has a featured back with Josh Jacobs, a very good fullback, and he had, until recently, a good offensive line that had the ability to be great, but the offensive line is never available, never available to play. There's always someone hurt on that offensive line. There's always someone that we're questioning, are they going to play? Other than Rodney Hudson, Colt Miller, who was banged up a little bit, but it's a hell of a young player. At left tackle, the Raiders have to get that offensive line to play at a higher level. But the key with Derek going forward this year is his ability to run more. And how is he going to run more? And how is that going to generate more offense and generate more victories? Derek Carr has lost a hell of amount of games since he's been the quarterback of the Raiders. And most of those losses are not his fault. He played on a team that had a subpar defense, He had players that are injured and unavailable, and Derek was in a lot of close games with fourth-quarter comebacks, but since he's come into the league, he's lost a lot of games. And this year, Derek Carr is going to have to take his game to another level that is higher. I believe he'll be able to do that because he's in tremendous shape. He's in the beginning of the prime of his career. That should last another six or seven seasons. But the question remains, will he have six or seven seasons left in Las Vegas, or is this a final year, depending on how he structures his contract, and if the Raiders restructure his contract to be here long-term, or are the Raiders giving him one more year to prove that he can win here? So this is a very important offseason for the Raiders. I think it's critical, I think it's important, and I think it's very important we hear from you over the coming weeks on exactly what the Raiders need to do. For the last 10 days to 14 days on this show, I knew and you knew there was bleeping nothing going on with the Raiders. It's pure vacation. Coaches out of town, Gruden out of town, everybody's out of town. There was nothing happening. I chose not to get into the gossip of Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and to do this poll question radio type show on what's going to happen here or there because there was no benefit to me. Why would I want to stir the pot? Why would I want to get this going when there really was no news? So I made the decision to hold off on a lot of that, pivot with this broadcast, do what I do best, which is more of a talk show than just a full Raiders show if there's nothing happening with the Raiders. But now that is behind us, and we are going to now go heavier on the Raiders heading into free agency. I believe that the Raiders are setting up the draft and free agency and letting go of some players in order to make noise on the defensive side of the ball. I believe that the Raiders will either package picks to trade to get a defensive starter, which I've said for weeks on this show, or the Raiders will find a way to trade away draft picks and make a decision either to move up the draft board or to move down the draft board to try to get better players that can instantly start on this team. I don't have a lot of confidence where they're selecting in the first round and where they are after that, that they're going to get a lot of impact players that could come in and start. I'd be confident to say their first round pick should be able to do that if they select a linebacker, if they select a defensive tackle, or they're able to get an edge rusher. I've told you here for the last couple of weeks, and I want to hear from you on specifically what you now believe, and you can do this Monday through Thursday this week, what you specifically now believe is the number one need. I held off on that for two weeks because I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I wanted to save and build up energy for this week and next week where it's go time. This is absolutely go time for the silver and black. 
This is go time for the Raider Nation. This is the moment. This is the moment now where Raider fans, the Raider organization, and everybody's got to be on the same page, having confidence with Mayock and Gruden to do their job, what they're paid an enormous amount of money to do, to secure one or two players that will help Derek Carr's offense. Without that, I don't know anybody on God's green earth that thinks the Raiders are going to be better than 8-8 eight and eight by bringing back this defensive cast and this roster. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in a division with Justin Herbert's just getting better. Patrick Mahomes is clearly the best player in all of football. And Denver is eventually going to figure it out and be better because they're a rivalry team. So now I'm excited about the opportunity for the Raiders to make a big decision and what they're going to do. Are we, are we guaranteed that they're going to get a defensive starter to come in? No, but I'm, ready, I'm willing to hedge that bet. I think the Raiders understand this. Mayock understands this. This is a Mark Davis, John Gruden, Mayock decision on if this team wants to go forward and have an impactful player now that can help the team off the edge or at the linebacker or free safety position that could make this team better coming into Gus Bradley's first year as the defensive coordinator. Speaking of Gus Bradley, our good friend Eric Allen, partner on the Raider pre- and post-game show, did a fabulous interview on the Raiders report. He did a sit-down with Gus Bradley. We'll be playing some of that sound throughout the week, which I think was a really good interview with a lot of hard-hitting questions about what Gus Bradley brings to this organization. I think the structure of the defense It's going to be simpler, less complex, but it's going to be based on fundamentals and there's going to be more practicing with defensive players on where they line up, what their roles are, and how to understand what their jobs are and not go rogue. I like Gunther for a lot of reasons, but a lot of Gunther's players were rogue on game day. They weren't lined up correctly, they took too many chances, and they got burned as much as any defense that I've seen in modern Raider history. That should not happen with the principles of what Gus Bradley brings to the silver and black. His track record as a head coach in Jacksonville, his ability to work with a secondary as an original architect of the Legion of Boom, L.O.B., and his ability to work with linebackers going back to Tampa with the linebacker coach and his ability to really understand all phases of the defense from the back to the front, from the front to the back, and how to have these players more prepared on game day. Well, look, Gus Bradley can't make a player catch a ball if it hits him in the hands. Gus Bradley can't help someone if they're isolated, but he can teach better techniques. And it sounds like everything that I've heard inside and outside the building, that Gus Bradley is way ahead of schedule now on having this team ready to go. He's not there to be friends. He's not there to pat everybody on the back and make them feel good. He was brought in to kick ass and have this team prepared to win games coming up here. Now we take a look at who's available. There's going to be a lot of players that are available in the coming days because teams like the New Orleans Saints, the Chicago Bears, Teams that need a quarterback are willing to cut players and not retain good, solid defensive players on their team so they could get under the cap to potentially go get a quarterback. That's something that we're going to be monitoring with our guest over the next couple of shows. Who's potentially available? Who's a good fit for the Raiders? Who can Gus Bradley work with with John Gruden to recruit quickly in free agency with Mike Mayock? so the Raiders are able to have players that will upgrade this roster. Right in front of me here in my office at home, I have a depth chart for the Raiders and what they're going to do on defense. And as I told you, there's not a lot of room unless they start tanking and running away from players they most recently drafted and saying they're not getting the job done and we're going a different direction. I don't believe they're going to do that. I think they're going to stay with Arnett. I think they're going to stay with Jonathan Abram. I believe they're going to figure out a way to get Mullen to play at a higher level. They're going to stick with Nick Kwiatkowski for obvious reasons and Corey Littleton. I just named five players for you out of 11 starters. Mad Max is a starter. That is six. Cleland Farrell is a number four pick overall. That is seven. In a best-case scenario, if Nicholas Morrow is retained because he played at a higher level, that is eight players that could be here, and there can only be room for three more. 
that would lead us to another linebacker, a defensive tackle, an edge rusher, and obviously a starting safety because the Raiders cannot roll these safeties out week one and and count on competing in the NFL with the safeties that they have because they're just too inexperienced or they're not good enough to play consistently at this level. So I'm starting to lean to believe that safety is more of an important position than maybe even defensive tackles where they do have a couple of guys who can play and have played in this league. So that's part of the monologue as we open up the show. I'm asking you if you can specifically tell me this week, which I haven't asked you in the last couple of weeks, who's your guy? Who are you keeping? Who do you want out? Who do you believe should be cut for salary cap purposes? Who would you like to see stay? Who are you most worried about losing right now today? Who's the one player after hearing about Incognito and Gabe Jackson as we debate Trent Brown back and forth? We've been doing that for a while. Who's the one player you do not want to lose at any cost? It could be Nelson Aguilar, who turned out to be a very good addition for Derek Carr and the type of player that Carr has done such a good job with. You don't want to break someone new in at that position, along with Henry Ruggs and a player I think in Hunter Renthro who could be a star in this league, along with Darren Waller, who I got it right last year and told you do not treat him like a tight end. Treat him like a wide receiver. And guess what? He broke Tim Brown's wide receiver reception record because he was treated like a wide receiver and not a blocking tight end. And he's one of the best value weapons in all of football and is eventually going get, to get paid at some point. So we open up the show, and we're looking to hear from the best of the best of the Raider Nation on what direction you think the Raiders are going to go in. we got a lot of guests lined up this week. We're going to pop in and out on various sports, and we'll go in all those different directions, 702-365-9200, at JT the Brick on Twitter and Facebook if you're ready to roll. And again, the show started 15 minutes ago. It shouldn't take another 15 to get you to answer that question and get you engaged on this, especially if you want the Raiders to win. Very focused, very important shows this week as we're closer to free agency and the draft right around the corner. Quickly, let's move on to the Vegas Golden Knights, who I believe is the best team in all the NHL. I think they are the deepest team offensively in the NHL, and I think they're playing great hockey right now as they wait for the return of Robin Leonard But in the meantime, they've been getting great goaltending, obviously from Marc-Andre Fleury, who's at a different level. The games against San Jose have been unbelievable. The overtime goal by Pacioretty Friday, then the Saturday game where they came up. And Alex Tuck was on the show with us last week. And since he's been on with us, He's been red hot. Here was the second goal Saturday. Flips it into the corner. Pacioretty near side. Centered. Rattles around in front. Knocked to loose. And now Tuck scores! Backhander from Tuck. Relentless pressure for the Knights around the net. Knights lead 3-0 with just over three minutes to go in the second. Yeah, that's Dan Duver on the call. They are just elected. And that's a big rivalry game with San Jose. You know, the, the Golden Knights have rivalries now with St. Louis, Colorado, San Jose. Fortunately, their natural rivalries of the L.A. Kings and the Anaheim Ducks, they're not very good teams, so they don't have to worry about it. Those teams are looking up at the Golden Knights. For Peter DeBoer, he's excited. He used to be the head coach in San Jose, and he's proud that his new team in Vegas here steps up for those big ones. You know, I, I think – when you have people like that on each team and, and the history that they have, I, I think regardless of, of where the season standings are, uh, the, the games get emotional at ice level. And, and uh, you know, those, uh, those verbal wars uh, usually drag guys into battles and, and that usually carries into the play. Yeah, it does. I think there was a lot of verbal talking in that game. You know, Vegas is just big. When you, when you put Mark Stone and Alex Tuck out there, they, they got guys who can fight. And Reese, they got guys who can fight. They got guys who can handle getting hit, and they dish out a lot. They got everything. They got snipers. They got smaller guys like Marcheseau and Carlson who can score. And then they have bigger goal scorers who are tough to move around, and they're really tough. More from DeBoer on the results of those games with San Jose. I really liked our game tonight. Uh, I thought uh, I thought last game uh, we obviously took too many penalties. Uh, the special teams really took us out of our flow. I, I think it was a, an emphasis 
tonight to, to try and play five on five, stay out of the box, and we did that right till the end of the game. Uh, we're going to stay with the Golden Knights a lot on this show over the coming months because I believe this is a Stanley Cup championship team. And when you get an opportunity to cover a team that can win a Stanley Cup in the city that you live in, we're all over this, and we won't apologize to anybody. Love the Golden Knights, what they do for us, how many of our listeners are passionate about it, and we'd like to hear some listeners talk about the Golden Knights here from time to time. It helps out with the show. Uh, quickly, I'll move on to NASCAR. I'll have more to say later on this hour and next hour. It was just great to be out at the Speedway and to see that many fans there. I thought that there should have been more fans. Ed Graney wrote a cover story today. The cover story, I sat with Ed in the press box yesterday. Race deserved more fans in the stands at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He's totally right about that. There should have been more fans there. I walked up and down the grandstands, took some cool videos, and had a great time there yesterday. But I think Vegas dropped the ball on this because the Motor Speedway ran beautiful protocol, and they could have fit 50,000 people in there. Not, not a problem at all. And they could have did it safely. But we're trying to get out of this pandemic. And this is a big week this week in Vegas because of obvious reasons. We got these conference tournaments in college basketball. And we got some big things happening here. So this is a very important week in Vegas for Vegas to provide a safe atmosphere for teams to fly in, stay in hotels, not have a COVID outbreak, and put on these tournaments and I don't think there's a better city that cares more about that than Vegas. So this is a critical week as we're coming up on what is a one-year anniversary of the pandemic shutting down this city and shutting down sports. 702-365-9200, Brooklyn Raider. Start us off on Raider Nation Radio. How are you? I'm doing good, JT. How are you? Doing real well. What's on your mind? Uh, I'd like to talk about the free safety position, but not necessarily free safety one, because we don't know what's going to happen with that. Richard Sherman might come in. Mm -hmm. Marcus Joyner might be moved back to that position. I want to talk about the depth in that area uh, a little bit. And I think we bring back, um, not Demarius Randall, who was, who was ahead of Jeff Heath as free safety two. I think we bring back Jeff Heath. He was able to do some good stuff over the year. And I think it's finally time that we walk away from Eric Harris. And it really pains me because I love the guy as a player. I love the guy's mm. work ethic. You know, every, every account I've heard, he's a real Gruden grinder. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't really mean much at the end of the day if you can't put anything on the field. Well, look, Eric's a good special teams player. And, and he's flashed. We use that term flashed at times. That final game against the Chargers in Oakland. He had a great game there. But I would agree with you. He's more of a special teams player than a starter at that position, and I, I believe that the Raiders with Jonathan Abram uh, had great intentions going getting him at the strong safety position. He's more like a linebacker at that position, but he got burned a lot last year. He was out of position a lot, and that hurts the other safety position because the other state safety has to slide over and protect for a player who's not there or is biting on runs and just not lined up correctly. So, you know, Justin Simmons was franchised by the Vikings and Anthony Harris, excuse me, by the Broncos, Anthony Harris from the Vikings. And if you look at some of the other players, Jimmy Ward, who the Niners didn't let get away, and there are some good players out there. Earl Thomas's name keeps coming up, and, you know, Earl Thomas is 32 years old. He's got a lot of tread off the tire, but he's the type of guy that could fit in in a system like that. And then the rest are all reach players. They're all reach players, and you got to figure out if you're going to be able to find a guy who can step in in this Bradley system and be disciplined enough. And I have confidence that Gus is going to be able to find that guy with all his connections around the league. I agree. Personally, I think that guy is Richard Sherman. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, he's getting a little bit older. He, you know, part of the Legion of Boom. That might be a natural mm -hmm. kind of move for him, a la Seawood in the, in the latter half of his career. Um, but we need somebody who can kind of – bail Jonathan Abram out when he decides to go look for the play rather than doing his job. Well, you're right about that. And again, I look at it, and thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. When we look at the situation with Jonathan Abram, if Jonathan Abram had a big year and he played better and he was more of a disciplined player, I don't think it's that big of a need now. I don't think more people, as many people, are really nervous at this time. But because because he struggled so much, it's even more important to have a veteran back there who can line him upright and help him out in between plays. 
And I think that's very important, and that becomes a vast priority for the silver and black. There's no doubt about that. Alan in Vegas, thanks for starting off the week, Alan. Go ahead. Uh, hey, JP. Uh, I listened to Pritch and Clay this morning, and they have me mm-hmm. thinking, too, on, on who to keep, who to get rid of. Uh, again, I've been adamant on getting rid of Trent Brown, but I think you're right. It is a, it's a very important offseason. season. It's a, a very important season because of this, in my opinion. Uh, I think with Mark Davis, he built that brand-new stadium, built a brand-new training facility. He does not want to go into December um, not being in playoff contention. And seeing us cutting Richie, cutting Jackson, I would bring those guys back. I would re-sign Aguilar and try to keep the offense as intact as possible because uh, Derek's contract is coming up. I'm sure he'll, he'll want to get paid. Josh Jacobs, he'll want that new contract. And then on defense, uh, Matt Max, he wants the new money too. And if Steve Farrell can step it up, he'll want to get paid. And, I, you know, if, if they cannot get it done this offseason, I just kind of wonder if Mark Davis will start to reconsider his thoughts on John Gruden. Yeah, I don't think that – I don't think that Mark – appreciate the call. I don't think that Mark is – looking at John Gruden, and the Raiders have shown improvement in a lot of aspects since John Gruden has taken over. In this last COVID year, the team was decimated by COVID, and there were a lot of uh, issues there with the Raiders there overall. But, you know, John Gruden had the offense. That's what he is. He's an offensive head coach, and he had the offense playing at a very high level. Now the question becomes, can he take that offense to a higher level, which I believe he can, I think this offense this offense did a lot without Renfro having a breakout year in rugs as a rookie. And I think they're only going to get better here offensively and maybe another back to help out Josh Jacobs. The question is, can John Gruden get help from the defensive side of the ball to put his offense in a better position? And as we've talked about with Coach, and I'll do it the next time we have him on. I interviewed him 18 times this past year. He's, he's a guy who is very critical of himself when the team doesn't play well. And he's had an offseason now where I think he's reflected on some of the play calling, some of the red zone offensive play calling, and Derek and him got to get on the same page with all of that. As much as John Gruden's got to be better, Derek's got to be better also in the red zone to change out of plays and take shots and run it in and make good decisions in the red zone, which I think he's capable of doing. So there's a lot of things that have to happen here, but I'm, I'm just doing a two-hour show here every day. I'm trying to go balls out on getting this defense up to speed. I think that's the really big priority. And there's going to be a lot of names that are coming available in the next couple of days as teams are letting go of players due to salary cap reasons and the Raiders might have an opportunity to pounce. And if not, the big question I'm going to pose to all of you in the coming days and weeks is do you want to hold on to these draft picks in the NBA? No one wants to hold on to their draft picks. They want to get rid of all their picks and go get players who can play. And I think that's the new evolution of the Raiders. I don't find these draft picks as valuable as I did immediately following the Khalil Mack trade where those picks were really valuable. Now I think those picks where they are mid-first round I'd like to see some picks packages to go get players that can play and help the team. That's just my opinion. You could have a completely different one. And you're the Raider Nation. Your voice counts every day on this channel. And we want to hear from you. Thanks for listening on the Raiders app as we open up the show. And we have several new partners to welcome this week, which I'm thrilled about. we got a great sales team. And we have some new partners that we'll be bringing in throughout the course of the week. A new tequila company who jumps in behind us and some uh, cerveza, which I'm excited about. Former Raider Derek Ramsey will join us once a Raider, always a Raider. That's next. Out of the end zone, the very back of it, a beautiful booming kick drives Renfro back to the Raiders 40 upfield 40 midfield now he cuts to the right another penalty flag on the return 30 25 20 and he's going to be into the end zone touchdown but I'm afraid it's coming back JT back with you on Raider Nation radio once a Raider always a Raider former Raider world champion Derek Ramsey 
kind enough to join us, uh, the former tight end, special teams, former college quarterback. Derek, good to talk to you again. How you been? I'm doing great. How you doing, my friend? Couldn't be better. Thanks so much for doing this. Let's jump in your early years. I've talked to so many of your teammates, and you're one of those guys who played multiple sports, quarterback, basketball, at college. I mean, you were a hell of an athlete growing up as a kid. What do you attest that to? Who got you into sports as a youngster? Well, when you're growing up in a town where there's 700 people, they always had to find things, ways, stuff to keep you busy. And so when we weren't playing basketball, we were playing football. We weren't playing football, we playing baseball. So we were just staying active, and, and I, I believe in part that uh, certainly helped my career as I went along because there was nothing you couldn't do. Isn't that great? We still tell kids that today. You know, we're in a video yeah. game generation now, and kids need to be outside more that – Derek, you were one of those kids where you probably went out when the sun came up and came back for dinner when the sun set and played sports all day, right? Yeah, that, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. And it's something that, uh, of course, we all cherish as kids. And, and uh, it also developed that competitive spirit, or spirit early on. You know, uh, once you get used to winning, you know, I just said I was a part of that uh, that uh, world championship. But prior to that, I'd won four state championships in high school, an SEC championship as quarterback, Kentucky, uh, number five ranked uh, Wildcats of Kentucky, the highest ranking ever uh, to this day. And so all that part builds into, you know, the package of Derrick Ramsey going to the Oakland Raiders. Derek Ramsey's our guest. Take me back to the 1976 SEC Championship in the Peach Bowl, and you're an All-American, third-team All-American uh, quarterback, first-team yeah. All-SEC. Did you did you uh-huh. think you had the ability? Obviously, you did to play in the NFL at the quarterback position. Why'd you change positions? Well, it wasn't by choice, and uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, let, let's call it for what is what is worth. You know, during that time when I got into the league. In 1978, there were five of us guys that had our teams in the top 20. And, of course, my team was the highest ranked. There was Dennis Franklin in Michigan. There was Terry LeCount at Florida. Thomas Lott at Oklahoma. Warren Moon at uh, at Washington. And Dean something. I can't remember Dean's last name, but over at uh, Oregon. And at that time, if you think back in the NFL, uh, there was maybe three African-American quarterbacks at the time. So it just wasn't the in vogue thing to have an African-American quarterback, although the Raiders had drafted a great quarterback back in 1970, uh, Eldridge Dickey out of Tennessee, Tennessee State, rather. And so that just wasn't the thing. You know, Derek, I talked to Warren Moon. He's a friend about this all the time. And I couldn't yeah, believe well, that Warren, Warren Moon. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when Warren Moon was such a brilliant player, and the fact that he had to go to Canada after yeah. what he did at the in, in the Pac-8 at the time, and then mm-hmm. to have to wait that long and be that successful, uh-huh. because where, where mm-hmm. he was winning great cups on top of it, and then to come yeah. back and have people believe the racial mm-hmm. element of playing quarterback mm-hmm. with you as a kid growing up and you being able to mm-hmm. stay focused and make it to the NFL and two Super mm-hmm. Bowls with the Raiders – that had to mold you and give you an edge, didn't it? Uh, absolutely, you would think, but even with yeah. Warren. And uh, as I mentioned, Warren was in my class. Well, Seattle wanted him to play defensive back. Right. <laughs> okay. And Warren, you know, yes, as you mentioned, he won all those incredible great cups up there. But had Warren's head coach not gotten a Houston job, I don't know if we would have ever seen the likes of Warren Moon in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, agree. There, there, there were some guys, one of my very good friends, and I was close to being a Hamilton Tiger Cat. Uh, we just couldn't work the finances out, but uh, I certainly was headed there. I mean, I, I wanted to play quarterback. That's all I played all of my life. That's what I knew. I knew how to win. I knew how to get things done. Uh, but, you know, the Raiders was not a bad second alternative. Absolutely. Tell me about that alternative. Give me an Al Davis story 
on how he found you. You're a super gifted athlete at quarterback and tight end. I'm sure Mr. Davis loved your strength and your speed and how you led in college and in high school. Uh, talk about the relationship and how you became a Raider. Uh, there was a lot of conversation before the draft, and now a lot of the NFL people knew that I wanted to play quarterback, and so the word had kind of gotten out there. Uh, three days before the draft, I thought I was going to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh had called me and told me they were going to draft me in the second round. Uh, but they had to have assurances that if I did, that if quarterback couldn't work out, I wouldn't object to playing another position. Well, you know, of course. I mean, I want to be a part of a winning team and a winning organization. And so that word got around more that I wanted to play quarterback and I wasn't going to do anything other than that. And so as you would have it, uh, we get to the fifth round. I'm still sitting by the, by the phone. And I get a call from the Raiders, and uh, what is his name? I can see his face. God dang it. He had called me and uh, said, you Ron know, Wolf? we're looking at – No, it wasn't Ron Wolf. Uh, it was one of the scouts okay. uh, that, that, that I had met when he came back to Kentucky for a couple of our games to see me play. And uh, he said, you know, I talked to Mr. Davis and uh, – he said that uh, if you're if you're certain that you will give another position an opportunity, uh, we're going to draft you. But we're not sure who's going to play quarterback. You know, I mean, we're going to mm-hmm. draft you as an athlete. And so I said, hey man, I I, I just want to play in the NFL. And you know, of course, the Raiders was a team as a kid that I followed. You know, and I remember all the great legendary players over there. So I said, heck, to get the opportunity to play for this organization, uh, I'm all in. And so uh, when I got there, you know, we had a few negotiating uh, hang-ups. I was negotiating my own contract with one of my dear friends, uh, Steve Artmeyer, who was on the other side, who was in player personnel at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we're going back and forth and uh, – so uh, we come to a snag in the, in, the, uh, in the negotiations. So I said, well, it looks like I'm going to have to go to Canada to play. And he says, well, I need to go tell Mr. Davis your decision. I said, that's fine. And I hadn't met him uh, at that point. And so he comes down the hall and he says, you know, I just want to welcome your uh, kid to, to the Oakland Raiders. And I understand that uh, you're considering going to Canada. I said, well, Mr. Davis, that's not where I want to go, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's a financial decision, and uh, I'm looking to make the best financial decision for myself. And uh, he said, uh, well, when we drafted you, we had assurances from you that uh, you would uh, – not go to Canada. You were going to play for our organization. I said, well, that's that's what I want. But, uh, you know, again, the money is dictating differently. He says, well, uh, you know it may not be a man of your word, but I am. He says, you go to Canada, you'll never play in this league again. You'll never play in this league. <laughs> wow. I said, okay. I said, okay, I think we can get this worked out. Unbelievable. Yeah. And and, and at that time, certainly Al definitely had the power for that not Mm -hmm. to to happen. But the incredible thing is that over those five years that I played for the Raiders, uh, uh, Al and I had a great relationship. And, uh, you know, we got a snag later in my career. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to be paid, and you know, I just set a club receiving record for tight ends after the great Raymond Chester and Dave Casper, and I uh, wanted to be compensated. And so we got into it again, and so I was traded. And, and uh, but you know, through all that, uh, I respected him tremendously, understood uh, the Raid organization, a winning organization, and just that I had. Five years of the opportunity of putting on right. the silver and black uh, 
one of the one of the incredible experiences of my life. Derek Ramsey joins us as we wrap it up. Derek, tell everybody what you're doing with your life now, politically, what you've accomplished, and what's the next chapter of your life. What have you been up to? Uh, that uh, just uh, uh, December 19, I stepped down. I had been Secretary of Labor for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and I was Secretary of Education and Workforce. And last year, I was a senior fellow for the Community College System Office, and hmm. This past January, I retired, and now I'm doing some consulting and uh, just waiting for something that, that I really want to do in my career. I'm going to pick and choose at this point, or, or I'll just stay retired and uh, consult. Well, I'll tell you, your life is remarkable. What you've accomplished as a human being, not just football, but especially politically and how you've helped so many people, Along the way, I know what this alumni department thinks of you and your big footprint in life and your run with the Raiders and this organization. We can't wait to host you out in Vegas and see you out here more, Derek. And I want to thank you for coming on with us. I can't can't wait to get out there. Much like uh, Mark, I have a great relationship. uh, uh, As I have with Al, I have the same great relationship with Mark. So I am... I, I, I can't wait to get out there. The guys that I've talked to or spoken mm-hmm. with, rather, that have seen our facilities, they are something to behold is what I've been yeah. told. So, uh, can't wait. Uh, but we're, we're the best. I mean, so having said that, uh, this is what we expect. That's what, that's what we've become accustomed mm-hmm. to by being affiliated with the Raiders organization. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, Derek. We'll talk longer down the road when we have more time. Can't wait to see you out here. Thanks for making time for us. Look forward to it, my friend. You got it. Derek Ramsey. Wow, what a life. What a career. Former college quarterback. Couldn't play quarterback in the NFL. Comes to the Raiders. Wins two Super Bowls. Was a brilliant tight end. He mentioned Raymond Chester. Next time I'll do a deeper dive on his relationship with Raymond Chester and the impact that they both had on each other's life. When we come back, more of our NASCAR experience yesterday. What did you think of the NBA All-Star game last night? Did you watch it? Did you look at it? Did you see it? Man, it gets more and more bizarre every year. When I'm talking X's and O's, I'm talking Remy Martin. Team up for excellence, Remy Quantro. When I'm talking silver and black, or we're talking to legends like that, it's with the Remy Martin cocktail. More of the JT The Brick Show on a Monday. Going to shake up the points. Going to put Hamlin to the top, Keselowski, and then Larson. As Kyle Larson wins Las Vegas. Thanks to NASCAR on Fox. JT back with you as we're ready to go. Brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence and check out what we're doing with them at the great restaurant Sparrow and Wolf. Uh, Go to Remy Martin online for social media or Sparrow and Wolf, a great restaurant where my wife and I stopped by over the weekend loving Remy Martin and what they do for the show. So NASCAR, got to get into what happened to me over the weekend with NASCAR. So Friday, Friday I got a text from Chris Myers, who's often on this show from NASCAR on Fox. And I worked together with Chris for 10 years at Fox Sports Radio and we're good friends. And he said, hey man, clear up some time and let's get a drink on Friday night. So I said, great. So Friday night, uh, he texted me and said, meet us out. Went back to where he was staying here, local uh, establishment here in town where they had a beautiful outdoor, outdoor social distance, couches, tremendous venue. No need to plug them. They're not a partner on the show, but had a great time. So Chris Myers says, come meet me out. I meet him out around 10, 1030. And I walk into this establishment. I go outside. I brought a buddy with me, and who's there? Chris Myers, Jeff Gordon, and Clint Boyer. They're on the broadcast together, and my friend Jacob Oldman, who's an executive at Fox. And we sat down on these couches and laughed and had an unbelievable conversation. Two hours talking to Jeff Gordon. He was asking me more than I was asking him about sports, and he was asking about the Raiders and Vegas and all this. But Boyer 
and Jeff Gordon, our partners, on that broadcast, and they're fantastic. You want to talk about chemistry? Everybody talked about Tony Romo coming to CBS, and he's been fantastic. And who's your favorite sports play-by-play and analyst? Well, let me tell you, this Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer thing is real. They have amazing chemistry. It reminded me of Barkley and Kenny the Jet or Barkley and Shaq. They were finishing each other's sentences. They were busting each other's chops. So we had a great night talking NASCAR, and Clint Boyer was asking a lot of questions about broadcasting to Chris Myers, and I'm jumping in. He's just talking about, you know, what should I do? What should I do to jump in with Jeff? I want to take care and make Jeff sound great. I mean, Jeff bleeping Gordon, dude. You want to talk about a Mount Rushmore NASCAR guy. So a great night with them on Friday night. So Sunday, I drove out to NASCAR, and I want to thank Jeff Motley, from the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and that whole team. So I drove out there, got out there by myself. Usually I take my kids and my wife, but I went out there, got my credential, which was basically a wristband to be in the press box. So I got to the press box and I saw Ed Graney, who was there, and Ed and I talked for a while, and Ron Kantowski, who wrote a cover story also today at the Review Journal. And Ed, Ed wrote a great column today on the cover of the Review Journal. It says, Race deserve more fans in the Las Vegas Motor Speedway uh, stands. And that's the reason why I went to NASCAR. Not only to see the winner, Kyle Larson, who was ever going to win the race, the Bush brothers, to see the energy. The flyover with the Thunderbirds was incredible. There was a B-52 or stealth B-52, whatever they call it, that landed during the race. You might have saw that on social media at the airport right behind the track. So I'm in the press box, and it wasn't, you know, it's a press box. It just had glass, beautiful. And I decided to leave and go walk the track, not on the infield or near the track, but the stands, the grandstands. And it was really important to me to see what it was like because I thought it was the most important sporting event to be at since COVID started because there were going to be a lot of fans. There were 2,500 fans in the suites. And the fact that 10,000 fans were allowed in the grandstands, there should have been more. This was the event that should have had 50,000 people. The place is bleeping enormous. It's enormous, and you could have put people all the way out at the edge of the grandstand, and everybody was socially distant. So I walked the whole length of it back and forth, and every fan was following protocol brilliantly. Everybody had a mask on. All the people that were there in support at the Speedway were holding up signs saying to wear your mask at all times and socially distance. And then I sat down in the stands and we're talking to a couple of people during race introductions. Derek Carr came out with his two sons and said, drivers, start your engines. And that was great. Derek was fantastic. He brought so much energy to that introduction. You could tell that Derek got it. He helicoptered in. He put that up on social media. He did the intro, which was great, the pace car. And then the race started, and I still had that feeling like I always have. When those, when those cars warm up and they go around the track five or six times and then they get ready to start the race, when they come by with that freight train of noise and everybody's standing up and a lot of people have the three, their three fingers up for Dale Earnhardt Sr. who passed away, and I was in the Dale Earnhardt grandstand. There is just the hair on my arm stood up. And those first couple of laps when they start that freight train around and you see these cars going that that fast with that speed and that noise, it was unbelievable. Got me right back to where I needed to be. So I stayed for the majority of the race, left probably with 40 laps to go, got home, caught the end of the race, and Fox did an unbelievable job. So to hang out with Jeff Gordon, Chris Myers, Clint Boyer, and the people behind the scenes, they do NASCAR better than anybody else. To see Ed Graney and to watch him work, and he was working there, putting this story together, which was really cool. And then to read it today, here before the show started, and now to talk about it during the show, it kind of tied it all together. But the really important thing that I want to tell everybody was it was great to be at a big event, which we've been talking about here for a long time. We need big events. We need to have 10 15, 12,000, and Chris Powell and everybody at the Speedway did everything right, which is going to help the Raiders, going to help the Aviators, going to help the Golden Knights, going to help UNLV. It's going to help everybody. 
I believe that NASCAR should be the sport that opens things up because they have the ability to do it because of the size of these tracks where you can spread everybody out. And these are great fans. NASCAR fans understand protocol. They travel from all over the country. They have campers in Winnebago's. They come into barbecue. They do certain things. So now when you tell them they can't go in the infield and they can't go to the neon garage and they can't meet the drivers, they get it. They, they, they follow protocol, and they're fantastic. So I agree with Ed Graney. I think that the, the state of Nevada, Las Vegas, all the powers that be, really screwed this up because Chris Powell and the entire team at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway could have handled at least 50,000 more fans, and they would have done it safely, and everybody would have had a good time, and more and more people could have went. But that's neither here nor there now. We've got to get ready for the next race. And what will happen, as Ed Graney pointed out, for this, Governor Sisolak approved up to 20% capacity to start, but the Southern Nevada Health District countered with 15%. The problem is that not all venues are equal in scope. Also, some are outside as opposed to inside. I thought they really blew it. The Southern Nevada Health District that said 15% for outdoors at NASCAR Give me a break. I mean, think outside the box and do the right thing because now we have to wait all the way from the beginning of March all the way to September to have another event here. And I'm hoping that you'll all have your vaccine by then, you'll all be ready to go, and that next event will be sold out. And they can't cap it at 70 or 80%. Give me a break. Let everybody go, sell the place out, and hopefully they can prove that they can do it safely. I love NASCAR. I want to thank everybody who helped us out last week with all the drivers and the guests that we had on. I was out there on Sunday. I had a great time. It was great to see the NASCAR on Fox team come to Vegas and really experience the city and enjoy it as the city's starting to open up here a little bit. So all that together makes me very optimistic here on a Monday. When I come back and host this show, now I have a vision of what it's like to be around, I don't know, 12, 14, 15,000 fans, whatever it was, if not more. And hopefully we're going to see more and more at the coming events that are coming here. We got, we got these college basketball tournaments in town with no fans, but some media will be attending. And I really believe, too, these college basketball tournaments at the Orleans team.